restive pack of apes. God, said the newcomer, don't you just love this? I saw his shining face split in a grin. I could think of nothing to say in reply. Things were already weird enough without having an actual teenager engaging me in conversation. Seen it seven times already, he said. Man, what a trip. I looked back at the apes in their desolation. A few picked lice from their fellows' fur. A couple bared their teeth at interlopers. This went on for minutes, but it seemed like an age, which may have been the point, but it was lost on us entirely. Then, at last, a leopard appeared and leaped down upon an unsuspecting chimp. There was a skirmish, but nothing came of it. More rocks, more apes. The mood along the road grew mutinous. The poor woman who thought she'd taken a bunch of eight-year-olds to see a bit of newfangled Buck Rogers must have been wondering what she'd got herself into. Anyway, enter the monolith, or whatever that matte black thing was. It didn't exactly make an entrance. The sun came up on the primal plane, and there it was, parked out the front of the monkey cave. A tall, dark rectangle like a supersized version of one of those Cuisinair rods they were using to teach us arithmetic at school. And when the primates woke, well, they went apeshit. The return of Leggetti's Requiem can't have helped. I think we were all as confused and appalled as the chimps. Pretty soon, though not soon enough for my taste, fur and bones began to fly. The older guy next to me snorted with glee, and then... Suddenly, and rather beautifully, as the now-famous spinning bone became a spacecraft in the legendary match cut, we were out amongst the stars. I could almost feel my ears pop. It was peculiar and fabulous. There was even proper music. For a short while it seemed as if this movie was finally about to straighten up and fly right, but there was plenty more weirdness ahead. For one thing, no one spoke for the best part of half an hour, and when dialogue did arrive, I garnered from it only the haziest apprehension of the problems at hand. Scientists on the moon had dug up a black slab like the one the apes had danced around, and once disturbed, it emitted a noise that was worse than Romanian art music. It appeared to be linked to strange happenings further out in space, and in order to investigate things properly, a craft shaped like a sinister tadpole was taking astronauts to Jupiter, which was fine by me as far as a story goes, although this affair was like a science fiction documentary whose budget hadn't run to the provision of a voiceover. Still, the machines were ravishing, and even the swoony, familiar music they floated upon was sublime. I didn't know what a Strauss waltz was, but I knew it made space travel less scary and marginally less boring. If there was any narrative tension in the film at all, it came from the nagging sense that, at any moment, an alien would appear, as it surely must. I steeled myself, but against the greater anxiety that gripped me, I was defenceless, because from the very beginning, what was most frightening about 2001 The Space Odyssey was the experience of being led out into the cold darkness of space and left alone. Things kept happening, or not happening, without commentary and with the conventional tropes of popular storytelling snatched from me at every turn, I had the child's slowly mounting panic at having been abandoned. I was in several kinds of deep space, and there was no one bothering to hold my hand. All I had for support and company was some kid in a suede jacket whose name I didn't even know, and there was something off about him anyway. Still, 
I was lucky to have him. I was on an acid trip, and he was my spirit guide. On and on the epic rolled, serenely refusing to explain itself as it went. It was hypnotic and opaque. It was eerie in a way that wasn't much fun, and it continued for the best part of three hours. Needless to say, it took the shine off my friend's birthday, and given the reviews bubbling up from the rear of the vehicle on the way home, it would have been a long drive for the boy's poor mother. Of course, I had my own withering criticisms to add to the chorus of schoolboy scorn, but in truth, the movie had gotten to me in ways I wouldn't understand for many years. Asleep or awake, I couldn't shake it off. There were images so singular and so vivid they resonated for decades. That first catastrophic viewing remains the most powerful cinema experience of my life.